Booty, the Fight Seriously podcast. Colorectal cancer patients are often faced with circumstances related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabooty, the Fight CRC podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. Listen in as we talk to experts, patients, and caregivers who provide accurate, real, and practical information for cancer survivors. It's time for us to bring these issues to light. Listen in from anywhere, from your car to the chemo chair. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org. Hello and welcome to the Fight Colorectal Cancer Tabooty Podcast. My name is Sharon Worrell and I'm part of the Fight Colorectal Cancer team. Um, just as a reminder, the information and services provided by Fight CRC are for general informational purposes only, and the information and services are not intended to be substitutes for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Um, and with all that said, I'm excited to welcome Serena Talcat. Bachman um, to the podcast. She is a genetic counselor from the Oregon Reproductive Medicine, and we're excited to have her. Hi, Serena. Thanks for joining the podcast. Hi, you're welcome. I'm really happy to be here. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Um, and then after that, we can dive into our topic for today, which is pre-implantation genetic testing. Yeah, so I'm a board-certified clinical genetic counselor at Oregon Reproductive Medicine in Portland, Oregon. And I did my genetic counseling training um, fairly recently, 2012 to 2014 at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. And then I've been with Oregon Reproductive ever since graduation, so for about four and a half years. And I primarily counsel patients around pre-implantation genetic testing for chromosome abnormalities and some patients for inherited diseases. So hereditary cancer syndromes like Lynch syndrome, FAP, um, hereditary breast and ovarian cancer are some of our most common referrals for pre-implantation genetic testing. Interesting. Okay. So what exactly is pre-implantation genetic testing? So PGT or pre-implantation genetic testing is a technology that parents can use if they know they have a gene mutation that could be inherited by their children. You know, it could be used to test for cystic fibrosis or fragile X syndrome or Huntington's disease. You know, our focus today, of course, is on these hereditary cancer syndromes like Lynch and FAP. But any time that there's a parent at risk of passing on a genetic mutation that would cause genetic disease, they could use PGT. So it involves going through in vitro fertilization or IVF um, in order to create embryos in the laboratory. And the reason that that is important is that we then need to remove a few cells from each of the embryos. And that's done by, by biopsy. And then that genetic material is sent to a lab that tests each of the embryos to determine whether the, um, that particular embryo would be affected or not affected. The idea behind doing PGT testing is that the parents, of course, hope that 
there will be an embryo that did not inherit their gene mutation so that that would be the embryo they would transfer and it would not be affected with the hereditary cancer syndrome. So where might someone go to get this done? You know, any, any fertility clinic with an embryology lab, which they would all have, um, should be able to offer PGT. Um, I think the one caveat to that is that there, there used to be and maybe still are some fertility clinics that don't have a trained embryologist to do a biopsy. And so, and that, that's, that's critical, of course, to this process is that we need to get some cells away from the embryo for testing. Um, You know, so in a, in a remote location or a small fertility clinic, um, you know, that might not be the best option for someone who wants this kind of higher level testing. Um, And the other thing that I think we've learned is that, you know, when you talk about doing PGT for a hereditary disease like Lynch syndrome or FAP, you, we were, go, we're going to expect that 50% of the embryos will be affected and 50% won't. And so just the generalized success rates of each IVF clinic really do come into play because it's so important to maximize the number of embryos that you have to test. So it's it's sort of a behind the scenes thing. I think that mm-hmm. a lot of you know just patients might not necessarily think about. And they might it's obviously easiest to just go to your local fertility clinic, but you know that could be the difference between doing one cycle or three cycles in order to find enough embryos that did not inherit the gene mutation. So Serena, um, part of PGT is IVF. You've mentioned a few times. And I know it's not really the focus of the discussion to talk about IVF, but was hoping you could briefly explain what it is um, in case there are folks listening who may be unfamiliar. Yeah, so the IVF procedure involves, um, you know, using medicine to stimulate the the growth of um, as many follicles as possible. And then it is um, an outpatient surgery um, to have the eggs retrieved from the body. And then those eggs are immediately fertilized with sperm, and then they're grown in the laboratory for five or six days until they become large enough to be biopsied. While all of the embryos are being tested, the outside lab, the embryos will have all gone to the freezer, so they can they can stay, you know, frozen for as long as they need to in order to get back the test results, you know, perhaps go through another cycle if that's necessary until, you know, the couple or the patient is ready to have an embryo transfer. And then that's another, under mild anesthesia, that's another, you know, medical procedure, but it's outpatient. So they would come in mm-hmm. for a couple of hours, have the embryo transferred back to the uterus, and then they'd go home. You're highlighting a really important point when, you know, just kind of asking, you know, what's the process? What's the timeline? Um, But I think that just kind of reminds me why it's so important that patients sit down first with a doctor who will be performing all of the IVF procedures when it might seem like it's more obvious to sit down with the genetics team first. I think it's just as important to understand exactly what you're asking. You know, what is the IVF process? What are you doing? Um, What are the risks? Because most people that come to us 
for PGT are probably very familiar with their disease. They're not quite as familiar with what it's going to look like to go through IVF. Thank you, and really good points. Um, so for everyone listening in, make sure to talk to your doctors about any IVF questions you might have. Um, yeah. So what other considerations do people need to um, think about? For any of your listeners that might be considering this, I think it's important to understand that every, every couple or every patient has to have a PGT test developed that's specific to their own genetic mutation and their own DNA. And that takes time. There's a couple places that we experience frustration when patients come in and kind of expect to be on one timeline and then realize that they're on another. So it can take, you know, anywhere from three to six months to create a test for embryos. Um, and I've even seen a case or two wow. that took to a year. Okay. Um, and then it's also really important to remember that the patient has to have already had the genetic testing to identify the specific mutation. Um, you know, sometimes we can, I don't think this happens so much with hereditary cancer syndromes, but, you know, if you just have a clinical diagnosis of FAP based on a colonoscopy, that's not the same as having the genetic diagnosis that comes along with that. Did they find an actual gene mm. that is causing the FAP? Because we can't do anything until we have that. So sometimes that's what drags things out a bit is not coming to the fertility clinic with your genetic mutation. So if you want to get ahead of that, that can be helpful. And then the other thing that I think is the biggest surprise to everyone that we talk to is that, and you know, I'm not going to get too technical here because it, it would be easy to go down that rabbit hole, but it's very common for DNA samples um, from the patient's parents to be needed to build that test. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's a, yeah, that's a, a surprise detail <laughs> for most people is that this, this can tend to become a family affair where, you know, obviously this gene is being inherited through the generations, but it's not quite as simple to build the test for the embryos just looking at the parents' DNA. They also need the, I guess we call it the grandparents' DNA as well if that's available. There are workarounds if those, if those people are not available or the patients really feel, feel strongly that they don't want to involve their parents, but it's, it's the simplest and the best test um, to use family members. Um, so that can, I think that's an important kind of um, mm -hmm. detail that. And Serena, if a parent um, is no longer living or um, not in contact with the couple, then what? Does this no longer become an option? Totally still an option. Totally still an option. There are workarounds. It's just more ideal and more straightforward to build the test using the parents if they're available. But yeah, this is, this is kind of the landscape, you know, it's, starts to unfold a little bit, I think that um, it's complicated. <laughs> you know, right. every new PGT case we get is different from the last. Right. Um, so, you know, just really, I, I, I would just highly recommend that, you know, people 
talk about these things with their family members, with their spouses, you know, with their oncologists, their primary care physicians earlier or, you know, as soon as possible, even if they're not quite ready to have a family yet, just because by the time they're ready to have a baby, it can feel frustrating to then realize that you've got a good chunk of time ahead of you before you'll even have embryos. Yeah. Serena, is PGT a new technology or has it been around for a while? I mean, we hear a lot about IVF, um, maybe not so much about PGT. Yeah, it actually isn't. Um, so there were there have been two key events that have paved the way for the possibility of, of doing PGT. And the first, as you stated, is was IVF, obviously, um, because we need to have these have access to these embryos in the lab. So yeah, like you said, IVF has been around for, you know, 40 years. Um, and then secondly, we needed to have technology that could study the DNA from an embryo. So the first clinical cases of uh, PGT were done in the UK in the 1980s, but only for a couple different diseases. By the 1990s, PGD was being, or PGT, so you'll hear <laughs> me slip up even between PGT and historically has been called PGD. And what does the D stand for? Diagnosis. Okay, gotcha. So by the 1990s, um, PGT was being used to diagnose um, many more diseases. So again, things like cystic fibrosis. Tay-Sachs disease, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, sickle cell anemia, but still just a handful of conditions. Um, so, you know, over the last, you know, 30 years, um, the technology has changed um, since then, and I think will continue to change over time. But PGT as an option for testing embryos for genetic diseases has been around for about 30 years. Okay, so quite a while. And over that time, has there been any backlash against it, against PGT? I imagine ethical issues have come up or may continue to come up. Of course. <laughs> um, you know, the, the big question around um, any new reproductive or genetic technology is just because we can does that mean we should? You know, mm -hmm. if we can use PGT to help parents conceive a disease-free child and it can be done safely, should we use it? And perhaps the most obvious objections are religious. Um, many communities believe that the embryo is a person from the moment of conception. So they would oppose creating embryos that may not be used. And maybe they aren't going to be used because they have the disease that mm -hmm. the parents are trying to avoid, or maybe they just won't be used because the parents have completed their family and they have excess embryos. Mm -hmm. um, so there's many different reasons why there could be kind of embryos left over, but, um, you know, of course, certain communities would not agree with that. And then given your audience, you know, that we're talking about adult onset, for the most part, you know, not, there are, of course, exceptions, but given that we're talking about adult onset cancer diagnoses, the other question that's been posed around PGT is that, um, you know, these mutations create a risk for cancer, but not the certainty of cancer. Not everyone oh, with a Lynch mm -hmm. syndrome mutation, um, you know, will get cancer. 
but the risks are significantly increased over general population risk. So some would argue that PGT should only be used to detect diseases that will have severe impacts on children or for diseases with no treatment options or for you know, gene mutations where there is 100% certainty of developing symptoms of the disease. So I think those are questions that we will kind of always wrestle with um, and that, that sometimes do come up with the genetic testing laboratories because they also get a, a say in what they will and will not test for. Mm -hmm. So what kind of counseling or support does a patient have as they're going through this process or through this decision-making process? Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I think that sort of stays with, um, you know, your previous question in so many ways too. Um, you know, the first thing that would happen just kind of on a technical level is, um, you know, a couple would come in and meet with um, one of, our doctors, you know, a, a fertility doctor or a re reproductive endocrinologist, um, in order to just understand the IVF process. And then, um, you know, next they would meet with probably a genetic counselor if the IVF clinic has a genetic counselor. And if they don't, then I, I think that the fertility clinic would set them up to talk with a genetic counselor for the PGT lab. But I, I do want to say, I think, I think it's important to just recognize um, kind of the combination of those two questions is that, you know, after sitting with patients through the years here, and some who have chosen to utilize this technology and some who haven't, what, what I think feels the most important, especially when you get to talking about the ethics of, of using this kind of technology, I think what feels important is that people who have experienced the, you know, sometimes you know, terrible implications of genetic disease should at least just have the option. And just as many patients that that do kind of sign up for PGT, you know, there's just as many that decline it um, for many reasons. But, you know, what feels important is that they got the option of knowing that the technology existed and that they could take it or they could leave it. I was just at a talk a few days ago where the Dean of Medicine from Brown University uh, was talking about the ethical issues around these technologies. And I loved it when he said, um, we should provide people not with a chance, but a choice. And what he meant by that is that in genetics, we're always providing people with the chance for this, the chance for that, you know, a 25% chance to have a baby with cystic fibrosis, a 50% chance of passing on your Lynch syndrome mutation. Um, but we could instead provide them with a choice. And I thought that was a really cool way of summarizing it. Absolutely. Um, I know you've worked with a lot of patients and seen a lot of different scenarios play out. So really insightful. Okay. So Serena, do you have any stories of any colon, colon rectal cancer patients that you can share with us? I think that might be an interesting thing for people to hear um, who might be considering PGT. Yeah, so I have two patient stories that involve colorectal cancer. Um, one couple that we've worked with had infertility, and they had a baby through our clinic years ago. And when they came back to discuss a second child, they updated their doctor that he was just found to have a Lynch syndrome mutation. 
so his maternal uncle had had colon cancer in his 30s, um, but was in remission for a long time. And then it, in his 50s was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And before he passed away, he underwent genetic testing and was found to have an MLH1 mutation. Um, so uh, the patient's mother was then tested and was positive, and then the patient was tested and was positive. And they had found all of that out prior to coming back to us to have their second um, child. So it took a long time for them to discuss uh, whether they wanted to do PGT or not, but eventually decided to test their embryos for their sub subsequent children. And then the second couple had uh, a bit of a different story. They conceived two children on their own, so they weren't already dealing with infertility. And then she was found to have a desmoid tumor that was very suggestive of familial adenomatous polyposis, or FAP. Uh, this That was confirmed in her, uh, and then they tested their two children, and one had the gene mutation and will have frequent screening, and the other one does not have the gene mutation. So, you know, their, their worlds were kind of, you know, turned upside down over the course of a few months, you know, recognizing what it was going to mean to have a child that was, that had this gene mutation. Um, and so they came to us wanting to have more children, but knowing that they didn't want to pass on the FAP gene. So I think what's interesting about those two cases is that, you know, they're both, they both involve colorectal cancer, but one involved fertility, infertility, and the other one didn't. Um, you know, that second couple utilized IVF solely for the sake of doing PGT. And then, you know, sometimes, just to kind of come back to my day-to-day, -day, um, sometimes a patient or a couple doesn't even recognize that their personal or family history is suggestive of a genetic disease. You know, and it's only when we sit down to take the family history that we see those clues, and then that can start the conversation of offering the option of PGT. So it can, you know, we can, patients can come to us, PGT patients can come to us through kind of many different avenues. And a question I probably should have asked sooner um, is, how is this all paid for? Is Does insurance cover it? Is it paid for out of pocket? I suspect that most of the time it's not covered by insurance, which is a shame. It's, it's really, I think, an example of insurance companies being really slow to understand that the alternative is cancer screening. and that paying for PGT testing in embryos will ultimately be much less expensive than the medical expenses of a child or adult that has colorectal cancer or you know needs to be screened every year or every 6 months for these conditions. I have seen it get better over the last few years, but I think that unfortunately most insurance companies still consider PGT to be fertility treatment. And so most of them are not covering fertility treatment and they're not separating those things in their mind. Right. Okay. So check with your insurance companies. Um, Serena, this has been a really interesting topic. Thank you so much for your time and for, you know, sharing everything that you can with us today about PGT. 
Yeah, thank you. It's been it's been a pleasure. I'm really grateful that you invited me. And I would just say, you know, if any of your listeners are looking for more information about PGT testing, um, we do have a website here at Oregon Reproductive Medicine that's specific to genetics. I think that has a lot of good information about, you know, all of this stuff. And then um, we also are really excited that we just um, created a new educational website called sharinghealthygenes.com. And it, it specifically was created because there were just not many resources for for genetic counselors, for doctors, for patients, for you know the general public about this option of testing embryos to avoid genetic disease. So that has informational pieces, it has patient stories, it has some expert interviews, and um, I would encourage anyone who's interested in kind of just learning more on their own to go to any of those resources. Thanks for tuning in. Please remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. For more resources, visit us on the web at fightcolorectalcancer.org.